This morning, we continue the series, Heroes. And in this series, we've learned about different heroes of the faith and how their stories can impact our lives. This morning, we have a special guest speaker, Bob Mousset. He's going to be bringing the Word of God to us. Now, let's open up our hearts and our Bibles and get ready to receive God's Word. How do you top that? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> we men have trouble with boxes and wrapping gifts, don't we? <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the songs that we sang, I want more of you, Lord. How many of us want more of God this morning? Hmm? Let me ask you this. Have you used everything he's given you so far? We want more, but we haven't used, have we? Just a thought. I'll place myself in that, okay? Um, I want to begin this morning by, um, am I too loud? I'm getting a feedback. But uh, this entire message was, was preferenced by a two-month-old baby. He's going to be three months old on the 15th of this month. And his name is Kellen. And he's a shy little baby, and, and, and we love him. Now, when babies are born, they cry. But this particular baby that was born thousands of years ago, it said that he was wailing and as an adult, he shed so many tears that he had no more tears to shed. Michelangelo painted him on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in a posture of despair. How many of us have been in a posture of despair? He painted him with his face turned to the side, and he appeared to be a battered and beaten man. His shoulders were hunched over, weighted down by the sins of Judah, and he was looking downward as though he couldn't bear to see God's people suffer anymore. The man's name, Jeremiah the prophet. And that's a picture, that's the painting of Jeremiah in the Sistine Chapel. Father, we thank you for this day that we can come to you, not only because of the veterans, but because of the people inside and outside the military that have stood up for you and said, here we are. We'll, we'll defend you. We'll defend our freedom. We'll defend our relationship with you. And Father, I pray this morning that you would just open the eyes of our hearts. And as your word is said, that it's like a two-edged sword, that it would go this morning and circumcise hearts and that we would be changed today. And we give you all the praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this message was preferenced um, by this two-month-old baby. And I'm going to use one scripture to set up our main text this morning. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, in verse 5, God said, Before you were born, I knew you. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. I've set you apart 
and I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God had a plan for Jeremiah. And guess what? He's got a plan for each and every one of us here today. But our main text this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 29. And if you would turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to take a look at this being set apart and being called as a prophet to nations. We may not be a prophet, but we have been set apart for a divine purpose. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, it says, For I know, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. The King James Version says, For I know the thoughts that I think of you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And that expected end is an end of a hope and a future. And that's what, you know, in, in regards to the veterans and, and those of us who have stood up for God, it's giving this nation and the people that are, that are associated with us a hope and a future. But now, God said, I have a plan for you. And here's the plan. It's to be the most instead of almost. That's the title of our message today, to be the most instead of almost. And God, God did wonderful things for Jeremiah before he was ever born, and even after he was conceived. He set him apart. He was a prophet to the nation. God told me, I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to keep you from harm. It's the same for us. I'm going to prosper you. Now, he had it all planned for Jeremiah before he ever shed his first tear or drew his first breath. And uh, Jeremiah's writing confronted a people who were in exile, and they had many needs. You know, when you're in exile, you're going to have some needs. When you are in a posture of despair, you will have some needs. Unfortunately, the people that he was, he was uh, talking to were being fed by uh, false hopes and the hopes of idolaters. And it's the same thing in our churches today. The same thing is being fed. We have false prophets. Now, how can we deliver or receive a plan of honest hope and a future? How can we, as, as, a, as believers, do this? How can we be the most instead of all most? God said, I have a plan for you. Somebody has a plan for you, what do you do? You, you have to find out what the plan is. So we must know the plan that God has for us. To be the most instead of almost, we must know the plan. And again, we go back to Jeremiah chapter 29 where God told him, he said, I have a plan. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to keep you from harm. I'm going to protect you from evil. You're going to be... You're going to be my spokesperson. You're going to be my prophet. Now, there was never a more unwilling candidate than Jeremiah, with the exception of perhaps uh, Jonah, who ran from God in doing, doing his work. And there was a time in Jeremiah's life when he kind of veered from God's path. And if you go and you take a look at Jeremiah 15 and verses 8, 
18 through 19, there was a lot of strife going on. Uh, He was being cursed. He was being threatened with death. And he felt that God had just taken his hand away from him. And sometimes we kind of feel that way too, that God is just, where are you, Lord? Where are you? I need you. I need you. But here's the thing. Jeremiah used all kind of excuses, like he was too young. He was only about 20 years old when, when he started really hearing God, and he used that as an excuse. Last week, Brother Marshall uh, talked about Samuel, uh, Hannah's son, who was dedicated to God. Samuel was only a child when he delivered a message to Eli, so the excuse of Jeremiah being too young doesn't hold, doesn't hold. Now, perhaps Jeremiah was um, lacking some confidence. Sometimes we get that way. But here's the deal. Perhaps he was unwilling to be the prophet of a, or to nations. And that may be the problem for some of us. Maybe we're a little bit unwilling, a little hesitant. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I have the words. I don't know. I don't know. But there was no reason for Jeremiah. And it's no reason for us. Because our protest, our refusal is to no avail. God says, no, I have a plan for you. Now, here's what we need to do. When you put the plan to work, when you put God's plan to work in your life, you're going to be just like Jeremiah, who, who wasn't able to keep from prophesying even when he decided to remain silent. Do you remember when you were a first new Christian? You couldn't keep quiet. I mean, you know, we were witnessing to trees, man, if they would listen, if we thought that they could hear. And Jeremiah was the same way. And, and listen, we may do like Jeremiah. We may veer a little bit from God's path, or we may veer a whole lot for whatever reason. But I want you to listen to this. If you remember nothing else, I want you to remember this this morning, that God will never ask you to go. He will never ask you to go without telling you his plan, the direction of his plan, and the words to speak. That was one of the things with Jeremiah. But he will give you the words to speak, but he won't do it if you're not in a relationship with him. If you're not in a relationship with him, turn out the lights and stay home. Because if you go on a plan, it's going to bomb. Because it's going to be your plan. And he will definitely tell you where to go. He'll tell you, don't be afraid, Bob. I'm with you. I'll be with you. I was with you Before you were formed in the womb, I was with you when you were formed, and I'm with you now. Now, you know, he sent his son Jesus the same way that he's sending us, you know, to learn, to teach, or whatever ministry that we may be called to. But if you want to experience God's plan for your life, here's where I suggest you begin. This is putting the plan to work, to be the most instead of all most. The first thing is you got to keep your eyes focused. More than that, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. I I think we all remember the story of Matthew 25. Um, I I believe it's verse 21, the story of the the talents, 
that were given. The master gave some of the servants some talents. Listen, if God cannot get your attention on that one talent proposition in your life, you will never have a chance at the other ten talents. That simply means, if I can trust you with a little, I can trust you with a lot. Why, why could God not trust us with a lot? Well, the prophet Isaiah pretty well summarized it when the Israelites weren't always focused on Jesus. And I want you to listen to what Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says. He said, some like, and I'm just paraphrasing. I'm not reading the, the entire verse, but Isaiah 53 and verse 6. He said, some are like sheep and have gone astray, and each has turned to his own way. I'm going to tell you, if you turn your own way, you're not going to be focused. You're not going to know the plan. You're not going to know the road, and you will take a wrong direction. For I know the plan I have for you. To be the most instead of almost. Okay, so we're focused. We're focused on Jesus. How do you stay focused? How do you stay focused on Jesus? Spend time. Spend time with God, and you'll gain that spiritual knowledge and that spiritual wisdom. By spending time with God, you will eliminate the chance or chances that would influence a bad decision because you will have an anointed Holy Spirit sound mind. Focus on Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. What happens when you spend time with God? Earnestly spend time with Him. You will be seeking His best first. I don't know about y'all, but I want the best. I want the best that God has for me. In Hebrews, those of you who've got your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to take a look at, at, at what helps us to stay focused and what helps us to um, spend time and what helps us to seek God first. Hebrews chapter 11. When you get there, say, I got it. All right. Hebrews chapter 11, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, Jesus. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, or that he exists, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added on to you. His plan for our lives is not, listen, it's not some big complicated, it's not designed as something complicated uh, mystery. John 7, 17 says, anyone who comes to do, anyone, anyone who comes to do God's will shall know it. I want to know his will. I'm going I'm to go to him. So what will you choose? Will you choose to stay focused on him? Will you choose to spend time with him? Will you choose to seek him earnestly? It's going to take time. It's going to take work to stay sharp. Jesus is not about a drive-through relationship. He said, I want you. 
I want you to spend time with me. Reminds me of a story of a, a young man who went to a logging crew, and he told the foreman, he said, I don't want a job. I want to work. Wow. And the foreman says, okay. He said, let me see you cut this tree. It was a logging crew. The young man skillfully cut this huge tree, and the foreman said, you can start Monday. He said, payday is Friday. Some people are kind of like Bob Hope. Bob Hope said, he said, I wish there was only three days in the week, payday, Saturday, Sunday. But uh, so Thursday afternoon, the foreman comes over to the young man and he says, uh, you can pick up your check on the way out today. He said, well, payday's not until Friday. He said, I know. He said, but you've fallen to last place. He said, you were first Monday. He said, and today you're in last place. The young man replied, he says, well, he said, I come to work first. I leave last. And, and he says, I've worked during my coffee break and, and my lunch. He said, I, I don't understand. He said, but you're in last place. He said, let me ask you something, young man. He said, do you take the time to sharpen your axe? He said, no. He said, I'm working too hard to take the time. It's going to take time. It's going to take work if you're going to stay sharp in order to do God's plan in your life. So to be the most instead of almost, we need to know the plan. So let's assume that you know the plan now. You've got the lands all prepared. You've got the blueprint. All the contractors are lined up and ready to build your plan. Do you build it? If everything is lined up? No. See, there's one thing we need to recognize before we go and build God's plan. And it's called, it's a process called commitment. All too many times, plans have failed because there was no commitment. Now, Jeremiah didn't start off totally committed. He eventually did commit completely and totally. He died in exile, but not before he built Jerusalem and much of Israel. Now, Jeremiah was the son of the high priest Hilkiah, and the northern kingdom, the uh, destruction of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians was still fresh in the minds uh, and the memory of the people of Judah. And Jeremiah had to bring this hope and a future, this plan that God had for his people. God has a plan for his people, those of you who are here and those who aren't here. He had to bring a plan of a hope in the future to these Israelites to return to their land, the ten tribes. The other two were on the other side. But here's the thing. Jeremiah was a priest and a prophet, and he was denouncing the priests and the, and the false prophets at that time, and, and he was denouncing them, and so no wonder they conspired to kill him. He was messing up their plans, their own personal plans, just like Pilate and Herod conspired to, to kill Jesus Christ, and so it was going to require commitment. It's going to require commitment on your part. And it also required the, 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 the tribes of Israel to leave the idols of their captors behind and not look back or turn into a pillar of salt, possibly. But here's, here's, the, main, here's the main problem here. 
The people he was preaching to were either half committed or only pretending to be committed because they were still worshiping the idols of their captors. They got a lot of people that are half committed or only pretending to be committed. I want to give you some examples of this thing called half commitment. Okay? Half commitment is the hesitation between following Christ and being religious. Huh? Following Christ and being religious. Hallelujah, brother. God's in control. Yeah, Sunday is a day that God made just for us. And Sunday afternoon, you're back in the mud with the pigs. Half commitment is speaking pious words about submission to Jesus Christ while resisting all authority. Could I speak something into your life about what you're doing wrong? Oh, brother, God's grace is sufficient. Half commitment is justifying everything that you want to do because if you were God, you would allow you to do it. A lot of people think, I'm okay. I'm God. Got news for you. Half commitment is almost being a Christian and almost being saved. Half commitment is choosing convenience as preferential to costly sacrifice. When you make a commitment, there's a cost. God says, my people have failed to know the cost. We make a commitment and we don't know the cost that it takes to sacrifice. Half commitment is being an admirer of Jesus Christ without being his disciple. Listen, the person who tries to be neutral in their service to Jesus Christ nullifies, nullifies their hope and is ineffective in his or her spirit. God cannot drive a parked car. Take it out of gear. Make a commitment. Know the plan. Make a commitment to it, okay? Now, this half-commitment thing is pretty well defined by John in the, in the book of Revelation. Let's turn to Revelation. I want to do that. Okay? Revelations chapter 3. Okay, we're going to take a look at, at something here that explains half commitment. Revelations chapter 3 and verse 1. Okay. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, say this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. We got people that say, hallelujah, praise God, coming across as being alive, and you're half committed, you're dead. Don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what, what God's Word says. Recognize the process called 
commitment. He has a perfect plan for us. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you. And all I'm asking you all to do is commit to it. Commit to my plan. It's a plan of a hope. It's a plan of a future. It's a plan that's going to prosper you. It's a plan that's going to protect your family. It's a plan that's going to bless you in the country, bless you in the city, and bless you in the finances. I have a plan for you. Why would you not want that plan? When you commit to God's plan, God's going to show you the same three things that he showed Jeremiah, to be the most instead of almost. First off, God showed his sovereign plan for Jeremiah's life before the prophet was conceived in the womb. That little baby that you have, God knew him before he was ever formed. Knew him after he was conceived. He's got a plan for him. It's a wonderful plan. May not be our plan. Same thing for my little great-grandbaby. God's got a plan for him. Secondly, God's call to the prophetic office was effectual. And Jeremiah responded to the sovereign call. You can say you're committed and you haven't responded. That's possible. I see it all the time. Let me ask you, have you responded? Better yet, will you respond? And thirdly, well, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do all of this. Look at number three. God gave Jeremiah all he needed to fulfill his ministry, and he will do the same for you. If he did it for Jeremiah, he would certainly do it for us. He will certainly do it for you. You know, so you've got the plan. You've committed to it wholeheartedly. You know, it's like the heck with the torpedoes, full speed ahead. God says, my people will perish without vision. You have, you have your vision, and here's God's plan. And I'm going to use Brother Marshall real quick. Brother Marshall had a vision, but it wasn't his. And all of a sudden, the vision and God's plan came on a level playing ground, and boom, they met together, and we're here. You can have a vision. You can have your own vision, but God has his own plan for you. And without a commitment, you'll never, never, never start the plan. And not succeed anyway. And God's commitment is simply this. It's growing his kingdom. And it may not be teaching or children's church or prison ministry, but he's got a plan for you. Well, I don't know the plan, Bob. I was, I was you know, if he spoke it to me before I was conceived and after conceived, you know, I, I forgot about it. Well, what are you doing to refresh your memory? Go find out what, what, what his plan is. Your ministry may be just reaching out to the, the cashier at Walmart. Whew. Man, those people need it. I mean, 
their hours are being cut, their hospitalization is being cut. You talk about they need a plan of a hope and a future. Maybe just reaching out to someone. I do this all the time. If you remember nothing I ever tell you, remember I appreciate you. And I tell people this at Walmart. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you, Caleb. Appreciate you. And they go, wow. So, there's a fellow by the name of David Livingston. He was a missionary, a Scottish missionary in Africa. And... Um, He was known for explorations of Africa. And some missionary society wrote him and said, Sir, we want to know if there are any good roads where you are. If so, we would like to send men to you if there is a good road. Man wrote back, David wrote back, he said, If you're sending men over here only if there are good roads, I don't want them. I want men that will come if there are no roads at all. God says, I know I have a plan for you. I know the direction. I know the road that you are to take. To be the most instead of almost, we commit to the plan. Or we know the plan, first off. You focus on it. You spend time with God. You seek God. And then you commit to it. And you stick to it. So in closing, what will it take for us to move from an almost situation to be the most. It's entering into a relationship with God and lifting our hands in praise and worship in spirit and in truth and saying, God, I don't understand. I don't understand. But I know this. You care enough and you're in control. The God that Jeremiah served is the same God that we serve and he still has a plan for us. I don't believe there's a single person here this morning that wants to almost be a success. Look at Moses. Almost, he almost made it to the promised land but he died at the border because he was disobedient. To be shut out from God's presence and God's power is definitely without hope, without a future, and without love forever and ever and ever. And that's one of the hardest truths in the Bible. But here's, here's something that I've discovered. That the hardest truths in the Bible can produce the most tender hearts. So why would you trade God's plan for your life for a bowl of soup like Esau did when he thought he was so hungry that he was going to die? Why would you trade his plan for something so insignificant? Why would you change or why would you ignore God's plan? I want to leave you with this one question. Are you almost a success? Are you fighting against and running against God's call? Are you running away from God's will for your life?
He says, I have a plan for you. I know that I have a plan. How many of you want to seek it? How many of you want to commit? You know, we say, I want more of you, God. I want more of you. It's like filling your car up full of gas and just driving it around the block. You put 20 gallons in it a week ago, and you just drove it around the block one day this week. And you drive to the service station, and you try to put 20 gallons again. You didn't use it. Simple analogy, but God said, use what I've given you, and I'll give you more if you want more. Amen? So, I know the plans I have for you. It's a good plan. It's one of, a, of hope and the future. He said, I knew you before. He said, and I know you now, right where you are. Wow. If anyone needs prayer, I invite you to come up. If there's some doubt, I'm not sure about what God's plan is. Again, take it out of gear. Spend time with him. And he'll wake me up at all kind of hours. You know, the old saying is, if you want to make God laugh, make your own plans. Yeah. So again, I thank you for listening, and I hope this has changed. Let this here sink in here and let it come out because what comes out of here is coming from the heart. Out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart. So again, thank you. And if you need prayer, we invite you up. And I pray a blessing on each and every one of you. And if you remember nothing that I ever tell you, remember that I appreciate y'all.